The Big Muddy Music Hour is supported by The Bluff Top at Rocheport, home of Les Bourgeois Vineyards and multiple lodging options in historic Rocheport, Missouri. This getaway location features a tasting room, a wine garden, and a full-service bistro. For more information, visit MissouriWine.com. You are listening to the Big Muddy Music Hour podcast presented by the Bluff Top of Rocheport. I'm your host, Colin Lavote, the shameless voice, playing what's relevant music from the country of the Midwest and beyond. How you doing? You feeling good? You feeling uh, feeling steady? Feeling steadfast? I'm feeling pretty good because, <clears throat> you know what, I'm. this is my effort to try and Uh, get some of the best previous episodes that have aired on the Big Muddy Music Hour on our NPR show back onto the podcast platform because I was really bad about coming up with podcast versions of these shows because I like playing music by the artists on these shows and I really can't do that on podcasts without a lot of work and risk uh, from the podcast platforms just completely yanking me off of uh, their platform. So uh, we're, we're going back into the archives a little bit, and this episode is actually my favorite episode of all time. This is our, our 50th episode in which I got to interview Ben Folds, a huge hero of mine that of the acts that I've seen live. He's definitely uh, in the top 10 of the <laughs> how many times I've seen him. He's just played a huge part in my life, and uh, aside from the fact that he's he's he really does mean his music means so much to me this is one of those great conversations in which you know sometimes whenever i do these interviews and i'm it's not like i'm going to name names here but sometimes i feel like myself and the guest can sometimes talk past one another and not really connect in this conversation i really feel like i connected with this guy which also just meant so much to me because of, of who he is and, and the impact he's had on my life. But also uh, you get to hear us geek out on Bo Burnham uh, on, on this episode as well and his magnificent uh, special inside. So that's kind of fun. But in a little, in, with a little bit of a housekeeping news, I want to share that the Big Muddy Music blog is live on BigMuddyMusicHour.com. And during the month of May, if you sign up for the Big Muddy Music Hour newsletter, you will have the chance to win one of two burnout mugs that has the Big Money Music Hour logo on it. Now, I haven't done much merch yet, but of all the th- items that I could do, I'm really excited to do this collaboration with Burnout Mugs because I don't know if you've heard of these things, but if you're a coffee drinker, it is a game changer. I've been a huge advocate of Burnout Mugs for years. And the way it works is, is it, you can pour boiling hot liquids into these things. And I do because I, when I make my coffee, I use a French press. And it's boiling water right in the pot. Let's it, let it sit with those ground up, freshly ground beans for a few minutes. You know, stir it up and then, then uh, strain it and pour it. And so that's boiling hot water. If I was just using a, a regular vacuum sealed mug... Well, that would that those do a good job of holding a temperature for a long period of time, and what ends up happening is hours after I put it in, I, I have the chance of burning in my mouth, but not with the burnout mug because burnout mugs take boiling hot liquids and bring them down to an optimal sipping temperature within minutes, within minutes. 
And that way I know that every time that I go up and take a sip, that it's going to be that perfect, that's the perfect range of like 140 to 150 degrees. You'll never burn your mouth. Take the burn out. Get it? So I'm, this isn't, a, you know, definitely check them out on burnoutmugs.com. They're actually not even a paid sponsor. Uh, we're just doing this collaboration as an effort to try and um, get folks to sign up for our newsletter and our blog. And we've been coming up with some great content on our blogs recently. It's a brand new feature. Uh, we've done some live reviews of shows of, from everyone to, to Tool and Spoon, um, Wolf Alice, Baroness. We even have a review of Jack White's m- recent album that just dropped. And who knows where we're going to go from there. But I'm really proud of the content that we're getting out there. We're not going to spam you with a bunch of nonsense. We're just trying to spread the word of quality music. So go to bigmoneymusichour.com slash blog to sign up for our newsletter there. And if you sign up in the month of May 2022, you will have the chance to win a burnout mug. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll ship it to wherever you're at. Just uh, sign on up and you could be the winner of a Big Money Music Hour burnout mug. So with that being said, we're going to take a short break. But whenever we come back, we're going to get to my conversation with Ben Folds. So stick around. The Big Muddy Music Hour is supported by The Bluff Top at Rochport, home of Les Bourgeois Vineyards and multiple lodging options in historic Rochport, Missouri. This getaway location features a tasting room, a wine garden, and a full-service bistro. For more information, visit MissouriWine.com. Also supported by Ozark Mountain Biscuit and Bar, located across from Logboat Brewing Company in Columbia, Missouri. Biscuit and Bar is open six days a week and offers full bar service, an espresso bar with to-go breakfast sandwiches, and serves southern-style comfort food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. For more information, visit OzarkBiscuits.com. The Big Muddy Music Hour is supported by Cooper's Landing Campground and Marina, located on the banks of the Missouri River. Cooper's Landing is home to daily food trucks, a full-service bar, and a full schedule of live music. Cooper's Landing also has a selection of riverside camping spaces for both RVs and tents. For more information, visit cooperslandingmo.com. Also supported by Amber House Bed and Breakfast, located in historic Rochport, Missouri. This full-service inn offers lodging and dinner services open to the public. With locally sourced ingredients, a rotating wine list, and an in-house masseuse. For more information, visit amberhousebb.com. The Big Muddy Music Hour is supported by The Dive Bar, located on Business Loop in Columbia, Missouri. The Dive Bar offers full bar service as well as a menu for lunch, dinner, and brunch on the weekends. Food and craft cocktail catering for events is also available. For more information, visit divebarcomo.com. Also supported by the Boone County Historical Society. Since their founding in 1924, the Boone County Historical Society has been preserving Boone County's history for its future generations. Collecting, preserving, and exhibiting historic artifacts, records, and artwork of the people of Boone County. For more information, visit boonhistory.org.
playing what's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond. You are listening to the Big Muddy Music Hour, presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. I'm your host, Colin Lavote, the shameless voice. My guest this week needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> to call him anything short of a genre-defying musical icon would be heresy. He is the author of the New York Times bestselling memoir, A Dream About Lightning Bugs, a life of music and cheap lessons, and he is the host of the new podcast, Lightning Bugs, Conversations with Ben Folds. I've seen this man perform live more than any other act on the planet, I'm pretty sure, and his music has left a huge mark on my life. Ben Folds, thank you so much for joining the Big Muddy Music Hour. It is truly an honor to have you on our 50th episode. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. How's the weather in Australia today? It's uh, kind of chilly. You know, it's, it's, it's chillier inside in Australia. We don't think about it in the U.S. You think of Australia as being, um, you know, really warm. And it is, but when it's winter, they don't have heating indoors. They sort of take that for granted. So I think it's about 55 degrees in here, and it's cold. <laughs> well, it's it's pretty uh pretty muggy here in in mid Missouri right now. So. I know. I'll bet it is. Yeah. yeah uh, so that that actually doesn't sound all that bad. Yeah. Uh, no, we can switch for five minutes, and then we'll both want to go back. I'm sure. <laughs> so it's like 7 p.m. on a Monday here, and it's like what 9 a.m. on a Tuesday there, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty is, close. Yeah. Yeah, this is like the this is actually the second Australian interview I had. I had the dude Jack from uh, Psychedelic Porn Crumpets on the show. So, so uh, not not half bad. I've only had two international interviews so far, and they've both been Australia. So I appreciate you making that? the time uh, this morning in your case. No worries, mate. <laughs> well, uh, normally I I start off conversations with the same question about where an artist's musical journey began, but. Since mm. you've written this fantastic memoir, you've given me a head start. So I'm just going to yeah. dive into some of the more compelling okay. ideas about music and creativity that are in the book. So totally. as far as I can tell, your musical journey began for you as early as two years old. And in mm -hmm. the first chapter, you talk at length uh, about an aspect of music that Part and parcel is part and parcel of what makes music the indelible phenomena that it is in my mind, and mm. it is because you were obsessed with music at the age of two that you have a lot of memories from this period. And this is literally the first lines of the book, and I quote: "Music feels like the frame on which I've hung nearly every recollection, giving me access to large files of childhood memories. Each song, each note, has a memory attached to it." Now. That aspect of how intrinsically music is tied to memories, in the same way that yeah. particular smells can conjure images of the past, mm -hmm. this is something that's always been something that has fascinated me about music. And it is something that, it, it, it's pretty much thanks to music that you're able to have these memories at such a young age to begin with. Is that right? I think so. I mean, you know, I mean, if you're studying for a test or anything you're trying to remember, to associate and chunk, as they call it, uh, a, a memory, files it, I guess, in multiple places. Now, I'm speaking above my, uh, uh, I don't want to say pay grade, but, you know, 
Uh, I, I, but, but I think we all know that. So music is really particularly powerful that way. And I think if, if you're a musician or your brain is, is sort of uh, a musician's brain, then even more so. And I, I'm positive that the things that I remember from when I was a kid that are freakishly far back uh, uh, are because uh, of the, the associative music. Uh, that's the, I think that's why. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't have the same experiences as you in terms of, you know, having this vast rest record collection necessarily where I was listening to records on end all day long. My, my parents enjoyed music, but, uh, you know, I, but I do remember the, the few albums that they did have at that point in my life. And mm. we were, you know, we were, we're pretty dirt poor when I was a kid, but the, you know, the two albums that I remember, you know, associating with that time of my life is Bob Dylan's Nashville Skyline and the Eagles oh. Hotel California, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And mm. those records front to back are just, a, you know, anytime that I think of those albums, I don't, I don't really listen to Hotel California all that much, but I, but I, I, to this day actually still have uh, Nashville Skyline on, on vinyl and it still conjures, you know, images in my mind of, you know, growing up on a farm. Here it in brings Missouri. it back. It definitely brings it back. And mine was such a scattershot because, you know, my father's job was, uh, uh, was essentially just renovating, um, and, and inspecting houses, uh, on, on what was really just, you know, a black section of town. And um, he just came back with all these R&B records. And uh, because uh, they would move out, people people tend to move out suddenly in, in situations and leave stuff, you know? And so he'd come into these places, and and records were there. Very often, it was a common thing that, that, that he would find records. And he just brought them home to me and plopped them on the floor. It's like, yeah. You might like this. And so that's what I was listening to all the time was just pretty much 60s R&B music. And that's what, you know, maybe he only hit a treasure trove two or three times. And in my mind, he was bringing them back all the time. But it did seem it did seem quite often. And, and, and it's such great music to start with. Like, I never heard stuff like the, you know, the, the Eagles and Bob Dylan until I was older. Yeah, that's wild. Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious how much of a indelible impression that must have left considering where you've turned to you now obviously it's not like you're you're playing r&b but i mean there's no it's it's so piano driven all that stuff you know well i i think what i got out of i mean uh, genres of music you know i mean you use the word genre bending they, 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 they really do just all kind of come together at some point it's all music and there's only so yeah. many notes um and and uh and you know it's it's like dialects or something and it's Fun to think and speak across dialects and and uh, and cultures and and even 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 races when it comes to music and time periods and it's it's just a wonderful um, a way to travel. You know, my uh, my traveling started in uh, in that dialect and in, in R and B, but I think that. There, you know, I don't play music that sounds R&B at all, but I think that there is a certain celebration of the moment and a spontaneity in that kind of music that I've carried with me. Maybe not the dialect ex it, itself. I, I wasn't thinking about, you know, like when I first started, I wasn't thinking about like appropriation or something, but I did realize that that wasn't me. 
And I did realize that I would be clownish and I wouldn't be respecting the music to try to sound like Stevie Wonder. At a very young age, I was like, he was the end of the world to me, but I would have never wanted to sound like him because it was obvious to me that 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 wasn't my dialect, you know. So I got all of the all the the hooks and the you know like songwriting chops and multi instrumentalism and just being spontaneous and all that came from acts like Stevie Wonder and Earth Wind and Fire, Ike and Tina Turner, Sam and Dave, Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, like all that stuff is just so in my bones. Do I sound like that stuff at all? Absolutely not. But I I love it, and it's I don't I think there's something about that music that has given me license to be freer than if I had grown up listening to Bob Dylan. Yeah. Oh, I can totally see that. And you know, you really did pave your own path in the '90s, and you talk about this in the book and how you talk about. The there's I always kind of compartmentalize rock lyrics into two different categories. There's kind of your overtly didactic rock lyrics that tell you exactly what it's all about, and most of it, you know, is is you know not the best. But every once in a while, you know, you might hear hear something that is a great rock rock lyric that is didactic that you but you enjoy. But you in the '90s were very mindful to sidestep that and do something that was your own because you saw this opening after so many years of yeah. trying to, you know, just just make it with your your band Majasha and all that. Yeah. And and you were you were trying, you know, every every trick in the book and everything that you thought might work, but you and you had, you know, didn't didn't you kind of feel alienated from most rock music until you finally realized, yeah. "Oh, now this is my time to where I can actually just do something that's sardonic." witty maybe mm. slightly subversive yeah I, I i've i worked out at some point that for me um in in order for me to do something with a straight face and to finish something to finish a song and to present the song it needed to be breaking the law like yeah. it needed to have something about it that was uh S just a little wrong or uh, 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 and it didn't take much you know like one song it was just like almost a ballad sort of not really a ballad but sort of a medium tempo serious song written at this point boy, it was in the 80s the uh, late 80s I was about maybe 20 years old the song's called Emmeline and using the word stupid and and using the word money now that doesn't seem like a big deal but really, in that era, people were waxing a lot more than that. For the most part, there was it was a little more like faux poetry. And to me, to 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 work in words like that felt like I was breaking the law. It's a very small thing, but then I felt like, okay, this is my own. Though the song "Underground" was written roughly the same time, and having like a Broadway opening to it was, and 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 having like. What sounded to me like cabaret chicks or or beat the Bee Gees or something singing the chorus was just screwed up. Like in that era, that was I knew that was wrong, and that made me feel like I was doing something. It, it felt so wrong. It must be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for breaking the law and uh, giving us your flair, man. Uh, I I haven't looked back since. No, but, thank uh, you, man. I uh, I want to turn back to to the book uh in particular the just the name of it in the second chapter a dream about lightning bugs 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in the title chapter, you describe a dream you had when you were three that is one of the best metaphors for creativity that I've ever come across. And in it, you and some friends were, were playing in the backyard of your parents' house in, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you only you could see an array of lightning bugs. But once yep. you caught the lightning bugs in a jar, everyone else could see their luminescence. And I'm going to, again, quote your book here. Quote, however, a half century later, it is, it is obvious to me that the dream reflects the way I see artistry and the role of an artist. At its most basic, making art is about following what's luminous to you and putting it in a jar to share with others. Yeah. I love this imagery so much. Thank you. And some of the songs that I'm most proud of that, that I've written seemed like they were floating around me and I just snatched them mm-hmm. out of the air. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Regardless of the medium of art form, this way of viewing the creative process just works for me. Now, yeah. your recent work, such as your podcast, has focused more on the creative process. Was that a natural yeah. transition, or is that something that you've wanted to do for a long time? Well, it's sort of where... Um, when, when I was writing the book, uh, you know, it began as a... Uh, it's just, okay, well, this is just going to be autobiography. That's what I was signed by a publisher to do. And um, the idea of sitting and, and writing and being a writer, you know, I, honestly, I, I didn't care if they wanted me to write short stories or, uh, or a, a manual on, on uh, you know, on changing a tire on a Range Rover. I didn't really care. I just was like, I want to sit down and write. This looks like a really cool world to live in. As I started writing the, the uh, you know, the the the, the memoir, I, I I I realized that it needed purpose, and um, you can't just just curate the best bits of your life and throw them together. <laughs> I feel like that's just not satisfying, and I wanted to go somewhere with it. So I started to find uh, a creativity. It's sort of like it's a case study. Like, look, all I can tell you is that. I've made things my whole life, and here's how I grew up. I can't say exactly this is what causes a person to be creative or this is what doesn't, but I can be kind of my own case study and just say, here are the things that sort of occur to me. This happened, this happened, I thought this, uh, I, you know, the things, things uh, that gave me an advantage, a disadvantage, to try to be honest about it and take out all of the or most of the you know uh, uh, dinner um, uh, conversation stories that I thought would be in the book, um, and so I so after getting through the book and it leaned so much towards creativity, I found as I was you know doing book readings and touring the book, promoting the book, that people were really super interested, like I was, in why we make stuff. And I think that combined interest uh, uh, gave me momentum when the lockdown happened. It's like, okay, I can make something about the lockdown. I can make something in my space. I'm terribly jealous of people who have done that, especially someone like Bo Burnham, who just slayed it. Oh, my God. Inside. Are you, it's are the you, best thing I've ever oh seen. Oh, my. Me, too. I, I'm, yeah. I was 
you know, I didn't have this in my notes to actually bring it up, <laughs> but I'm yeah. so glad you did because I, there was one question where, as a follow-up, I was going to ask if you had mm. seen it, and yes. I've been obsessed with Bo yeah. Burnham's Inside for the last week. Like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. I know. And it's so good. No, it's so it's so good. And, you know, we have to realize that the, this is not going to speak to everybody. Yeah. It, 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 seriously, like, I, I realized that once... Once I sat sort of quaking in the aftermath of having seen something so great, I was like, <laughs> you know what? I have to realize that this is the kind of thing that not everyone, you think everyone's going to realize, okay, this is, we're going to send one piece of art up from 2020 on the next Voyager. This needs uh. to be it. But not everyone's going to feel that way, Colin. <laughs> because it's so inside, you oh, know. But oh, my God. To, to sort of continue my thought on that, um, you know, um, my way of, of, of dealing was to go, okay, um, I don't really want to make something. I don't feel like making something about this. But what I would like to do is spend my time in it doing something that I normally don't do. So, uh, so a podcast, you know, like I don't feel like, like, that guy like and you probably don't either i feel like fucking dick clark or something half the time like welcome to my <laughs> podcast you know okay kids today like it's you feel like the like a baseball announcer or something but i You're like the the soccer song <laughs> okay uh, the, kids. So, so good so good such <laughs> such great metaphors all across that you know it's a work of um, art yeah absolutely no and it's really fantastic there's so many great metaphors inside it um all, all through it, and look, I've a lot of us have been also. Um, uh, if you're in that world, uh, you're living in wires, and and I, mm. I know that seems mm. to some people probably like, like, oh, poor Bo, he's living in wires, and the rest of the world's blowing up. But he does address all of that, and I don't know. I could go on about that for a long time. Well, you know, the anyway. interesting thing is is. Uh, your manager, who uh, it seems like he's on the line, Mike. Uh, he's who, listening. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Well, you know, no, no, no. I want to. I want to give him a compliment because <laughs> because you know we uh, you know we're not we don't always have national acts on the show, but and so I deal with a lot of deal with a lot of management. And Mike has been very responsive and very friendly. So hey, Mike. Good. Good. Hey, good Mike. to know you're on the call. And uh, props to you, Ben, for having such a stand-up guy working with you. But whenever he told he told me in an email that you were you know working through uh some technical stuff with your podcasts and, and your, your you know cameras and, and stuff like yeah. that and different setups and that was immediately what i what i thought about you know yeah and I was it's, like, it's it's a little bit of, it's hell in a way because uh you're having to see everything you're doing and you're and doing it from all angles and most of the time there's a reason why there are multiple roles and moving parts when you create anything from a song yeah. whatever you do and in this world one one of uh you know in our environment we've gotten our wish now we can do it all ourselves because we have anything you can order from amazon any plug-in you can get little uh fucking ring lights and i've got backdrops and stuff and <laughs> i'm not i'm not unique and uh and bo burnham's not unique in that way either everyone's doing this and it's sort of it reminds me of this weird and this this is probably not going to resonate at all because it's just weird but i remember being on a plane in um uh, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been traveling as for my job recently at that point, like 
like my band started doing well and we started flying places and I never really flew that much. So this was all new to me. And of course I was in the back of the plane, like you start. And at some point we started, you know, riding in the front of the plane. And I, I realized over the time, over like a course of a year, sorry, this is a long story. This probably going nowhere. Cause I've never no, no, really man. said it I wanna, aloud. I want to hear it. Yeah. But so I, I was going somewhere and I was in the front of the plane and I realized, you know what? Over the last year and a half, two years, the front of the plane demographic has really changed. Like it was old guys that looked like they were going to land and get their cigars. Like it was old school, like guys that ran the world, old white guys. Now it's people more my age, I guess the Generation X, and they're all like Silicon Valley more types. They have my glasses. They kind of seem to look a little more like me. Like we're taking over the front of the plane. And I started <laughs> reflecting on what they were making their money on. And I started thinking about the internet. And this was like 2000, maybe 2001. And I had this sudden image of how badly it's what I saw creeped me out, but I can't explain it. It was like the, the head of humanity was 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 trying to face a mirror and that mirror was what was going to happen in the internet and once that happened we were finished like mm. we we're not supposed to see ourselves like that we're not supposed to be that aware we're not supposed to be that connected but but it was a weird premonition about what it feels like right now that the head was turning so very slowly wanted so bad to see itself and then once seeing itself wanted so badly to see anything but. And it was just creepy and weird. And then that went away. And in this last year, I've started to remember that plane trip for some reason. It's almost like those guys in the in the front of the plane or the is the carnival barker that's singing Welcome to the Internet from the Bo Burnham special. <laughs> exactly. Ca cackling yeah. cackling as they've waited for the millennials to show up to to create this this monster that that is engulfed uh, and or empowered the masses. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a little much. I think that our, our um, um, you know one of the things I got out of the, out of inside whether he m meant it this way or not is is just that um, you know uh, evolutionary latency. We're ten thousand years behind uh, where we need to be to actually use this that we're using now and we're not using it well and none of us understand how to apportion our time anymore and how to interact and it actually is a very serious problem and and that that special he did uh to me mostly spoke about that wow. we're not ready for it we, yeah. we can't yeah. deal with this we, yeah, we've right. we've you know, he has a line in one of his songs, which I just loved. It was something like 20,000 years of this, but only seven only left seven to go. Only seven more to go. That, I actually, that, that line, uh, I said to myself, that could be a Ben Folds line. That's beautiful. It, and it's exactly right. I mean, the, look, you, you don't talk to a scientist or someone who's actually uh, uh, a, a, a thinker with, with evidence and, and, and time to think about these things. Who thinks the human species is going to last any more than a couple hundred years? We're, we've we've done it. Yeah. We, we've we that ship sailed, man. And yeah. it's sad. Like it's it actually is. Like I, I'm not just saying. 
<laughs> say that flippantly. It's no, like yeah. I think about kids and grandkids and stuff. It's like okay, a couple generations, you know, because. The thing about death is you got to get there. It's not the being there. It's like, oh, that's fine. That seems kind of peaceful. But the getting there doesn't seem like fun. And I, I, I feel bad for future generations now that have to deal with what we're giving them because we're showing absolutely no signs of going back. None. The world at your fingertips, the ocean at your door. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting good. too much Bo Burnham. I have Ben Folds on the show, and, and all we're talking about is Bo Burnham. Big Muddy Music Hour is presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards, located in Rocheport, Missouri. Les Bourgeois has been mid-Missouri's winery for more than three decades, with over 20 different wines ranging in style and sweetness. Les Bourgeois wines are available at your local retailer, their tasting room, or shop online at MissouriWine.com. The Big Muddy Music Hour is also supported by Ozark Mountain Biscuit Company, announcing the opening of their new brick-and-mortar restaurant, Ozark Mountain Biscuit and Bar, located right across the street from Log Boat Brewing Company. Featuring a full menu for breakfast, lunch, dinner, a cocktail bar, espresso bar, with to-go sandwiches, and an outdoor patio. Ozark Mountain Biscuit and Bar, opening summer 2021. The Big Muddy Music Hour is also brought to you by Amber House Bed and Breakfast. Located in historic Rochport, Missouri, this full-service inn offers lodging and dinner service open to the public with locally sourced ingredients, a rotating wine list, and an in-house masseuse. For more information, visit amberhousebb.com. The Big Muddy Music Hour is also supported by Cooper's Landing. Cooper's Landing is a full-service marina that's home to food trucks, a campground, and a live music venue on the banks of the Missouri River just off the Katy Trail. For more information, visit cooperslandingmo.com. Playing what's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond, you're listening to the Big Muddy Music Hour presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. And my guest this week is Ben Folds. And folks, uh, just a quick housekeeping note. We will not be having the Big Muddy Music calendar on air this week. If you want to see what is happening in the mid-Missouri area with live shows this week, follow Big Muddy Music Hour on Facebook or Instagram. So... Uh, needless to say, I've I actually prepped for this interview more than any other I've had thus far, and I haven't even touched a, a single, uh, or not a single, I've, a few of the questions, but not as many yeah, as I thought. Yeah, no, I know how it is. But, I, I, I've been interviewing people, too. They go in a way that you don't expect all the time, and you have these things to ask, and you don't get to them. Well, actually, that that is one of my questions. It wasn't the next one I was going to ask, but since you brought it up... <laughs> Uh, you, you, we're that is the one thing that I feel like I can connect with you on on uh, a certain level is the fact that I'm a musician, you're a musician. Neither of us, while you have been interviewed a gazillion times more yeah. than I have, haven't been trained for media and mm, being right. a, 
a, a communicative personality that's having to drive the conversation. So my question to you, yes, yeah. on you know my my fiftieth episode, having done this, uh, I'm, I feel like my feet are pretty wet at this point. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you're, you're in you're, this. You, you know, you're you, how many you've, you've published like eight of your podcasts so far, and it's great. I really enjoy your Thank podcast. You. I, I really, uh, in, in in particular, the Jean Baptiste episode. I, I love it was that was a really really fun one in the Bob Saget episode, but what's been the most difficult thing for you making that transition? And also, mm. I guess kind of a, kind of a follow-up to that would be, you know, you talk about, you know, being wrapped in your wires and yeah. you know, the, the one man show in terms of your production. And I, and I, I hearken, maybe, maybe I'm packing too much into this question, but you know, I think back to your question, your, uh, you know, whenever you did rock in the suburbs and that was you know, some kind of your, your gateway into digital, digital recording as, as, it, yeah. you know, as it was, and you were very hesitant about it, but you kind of just jumped into it, yeah. you know, going from that space where you were, you were very much, you know, not hesitant, but, but, you know, up until that point you were, mm-hmm. uh, to now, you know, I'm, I'm interested in kind of that perspective, you know, what's, what's been difficult for you as, as a quote unquote, podcaster uh to make that transition and also you know with what what has changed for you in terms of your perception of just digital medium period it's it's a long journey but some some things just remain the same you know like when as soon as i could get um a couple of of uh cheap cassette decks and a mic to do sound on sound when i was a kid that's the prior to multi-track for for Anyone who doesn't know what that is, uh, it's just a way to record multiple instruments. And and then a four track and anything that I've been able to get my hands on to, um, to you know, make stuff, then I have. And, and so in this era, it's not really any different. Uh, uh, traversing the uh, digital um, fault line wasn't... Um, wasn't as big a deal as I thought it would be. We're just all still making stuff. And there's and and there's so many gears of doing it, you know, like you can do it all yourself, like like uh, uh just like Bo Burnham did, or you can be part of a massive um you know team where everyone has has their their parts. And um I just find myself drifting all over the place and at this point by necessity I'm doing things myself. The the interviewing thing is interesting, you know, like you've done 50 of them and um I'm you know, we've probably got about 25 of them on the can in the can now, oh, so yeah. I'm about mm-hmm. I'm about halfway there, but it is a skill. Uh, interviewing is a skill and um like like anything and um so I I I put post-it notes around my um uh, you know, around my computer screen so that they can't be seen. And uh, every two or three of them says, sit on your hands, shut the up, listen. Uh, <laughs> I remind myself to do things like that because otherwise I'll step on people. But I have the stuff that I, I have, to, I put stars on. We can't get through this interview unless these things happen. And I've had trouble a couple of times, especially if it was a friend, and I let them get away with not giving me a full, honest, deep answer, you know, um, you know, and 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 one of those, like, well, we're having to do over again because I just let her get away with, with uh, just kind of answering 
um, the surface and not not going further because I want my podcast to be of use to people and it's of no use to anyone if someone won't tell me how they're feeling, what they might have messed up, what they could do better, their frustrations, as well as the things that are, are really working for them. And I want them off their talking points. and Be vulnerable. Um, that's hard to do sometimes. Be vulnerable. You know, it's, exactly. It's, be 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 fun, usefully yes. vulnerable, like 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 uh, 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 of use, so 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 that people can hear it and go, oh, that's me, and they can improve on it, or they can, you know, they can use that information somehow. Especially in this age of artificial Instagram perfection. Yeah, uh, you know, my my wife the other, just the other day. She's like, I cannot stand on getting on Facebook because every time I get on Facebook, one of my girlfriends who, and I have, you know, she has all these like gorgeous, in real life, gorgeous girlfriends use these like wonky, weird filters and stuff to, yeah. to you know, that doesn't even make them look like them. And, and it's like, do you think this is attractive? And so I feel yeah. like it, it is important for that, for especially people that, you know, like that you and I get to interview people that that folks look up to and i have to say people are in columbia missouri are thrilled that you're you're going to be on the show you have a lot of fans here awesome, um, thank you. it's it's really important i think for for folks to be able to make themselves vulnerable not only in this space but also creatively as well i feel like the best art I, takes place whenever you allow yourself to be vulnerable it's it's only yeah, then and, whenever you can really get get there and, and create something special well, and it's old news, but I mean, um, you know, uh, uh, while it's important, I, I do think to be vulnerable and it's important to be honest, you also don't have to put everything and every meal and every mood um, up for everyone to see, you know, sure. um, I've been in the, I've been in the business of promoting myself because that's what you do like it's and it, it never has felt healthy i mean it's like since my band first started hitting it in the mid 90s um you know like you're supposed to put up a version of what you do that sells your record you know and 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 at some point everyone started having to be their own pr person i'm not sure i would choose having done it as as a job to in my spare time be my own promo person and, and and to and to put myself up like here I am at the beach uh here here I am with the oh, with my kids my best I mean I'm not sure that's necessary and I know we talk about that a lot but I think maybe what people should do in this generation is revisit uh the the internet in general and ask themselves do we really need this like this morning in the paper there's this there's this excited story about these very small vehicles that will sort of fly in the air. We've been talking about them for years, and now people are thinking maybe we're on the cusp of being able to fly cars around town. The f*** do we need to do that for? <laughs> like, why, like, who needs to have their fat ass carted around in the air like that? We don't need that. Uh, like, there's shit that we don't need now. And the thing is, is like, we're heading towards a serious iceberg, and, 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 and maybe what we need to do is kind of like, dial back instead like ask what's what matters like what yeah. matters the most do you really need to spend your time 
putting putting your meal on Instagram. And and I know we've talked about this for years. Like that's a thing. Like kids will listen to an old guy like me wax on like this, like I've just discovered. It's like, well, no, Instagram and Twitter have been around since before you were born now. Like the it's been around for a while. It's not new. We need to revisit and actually think, uh, do we need to live like that? Because that that's just fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and like I say, I can't say this enough. It's not new. Like yeah. there's nothing new about the quandary. It's just, but that doesn't mean we, we shouldn't like revisit every once in a while and go, okay, what do we need? Man, I don't know. Because I woke up this morning, I had some ideas and I wanted to, to see my family. Well, that's, that's a good thing to live for. Now, what else do you need to do that? Like, you know, I need to make a living. Okay, it's fine. So I need to drive to go do that. Or do I? Maybe I could live somewhere where I could actually walk or get on a goddamn donkey or something with some pots <laughs> clinging behind it. Like, do That's we, we need, need all this more stuff? More donkeys. More donkeys. I love, I love donkeys. <laughs> Hashtag Mules. more donkeys. so great. Yeah. Oh, my God. Get on a big dog. <laughs> where you talk about a bunch of fat asses flying around the sky, it just makes me think that it could be an all-you-can-eat part two perhaps your, your song uh, all you can eat <laughs> yeah all you a, can haul stay home can... <laughs> oh god oh uh, well there's they, i got i got i know you got to run here so i got i got just like two things i want yeah, to yeah, be- yeah. before you run off um there's a band here in columbia missouri they're doing some great things they're a trio of teenagers that go by the moniker the sweaters one of the mothers of the sweaters wanted me to express uh, a lot of appreciation for your support of music education in public schools. Oh, cool. and, uh, she yeah. wrote to me about uh, how the marching band drum team was one of the only school-related activities that they could par- partake in over the pandemic. They would meet at school and at kids' houses to rehearse, and she said, quote, School music kept these kids connected in purpose, interest, mm-hmm. and coursework, and then inspired them to go beyond. This was a lifesaver during COVID. Can you share with our listeners who might not be aware how you've become such a strong advocate for music and public education, and what what have you been working on to bolster these programs across the U.S.? Well, I just act as a cheerleader, you know, and I and I remain interested in it, and I, I think that anyone that does um, what I do for a living— should be cheerleading that, you know, because what, what the, the important thing is not that everyone becomes a professional musician. The important thing is that we put an important part of our, our brains, our spirit, our soul in, into something that is, uh, 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 that gives back like music or the arts do. In other words, you know, when 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 you uh, when you add a little music, a little art to a kid's education, you get more. It's a good investment. It's a good investment of time and energy because most will get something out of it that that will make their studies better. Most will uh, find themselves in, in in social situations that are just awesome. I mean, to get together, it's like sports. Sports are Absolutely. great too. You know, yeah. Like I, there's I I think I find it funny that 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 people need to pit the arts against sports, or they need to pit the arts against um um, uh, you know science or something like that. It all works together. Brains are very very musical, and most kids will respond really well to it. So if you've got something you can use free, uh in uh in in public schools to help kids, uh it 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 helps uh with their um uh, attendance. Especially in places where you've got, you know, kids like they may drop out. The dropout rates 
uh, are are improved uh, by uh, by adding some arts in because it's something that's fun. And then you relate to people that you normally wouldn't relate to. I might be able to play music with a kid that I I hate his guts, but we can play music together. And then by that we can you know we can put ourselves in each other's shoes. You go, oh, he's just a person like me. Um, it's it's important uh, to, to to see how it improves scores. Uh, in testing from math to literature to world studies, all that stuff. So it's just, it's just, it's just such in, and, you know, because we like to compartmentalize um, and because there are, you know, political and budget um, arguments over these things, you know, music and the arts have taken a pretty big hit in, uh, in, in school, not everywhere, some places have more music than I ever dreamed about when I was a kid, yeah. mm-hmm. and others have none. And unfortunately, it seems to go by postcode. The postcode seems to go by uh, by economic strata. So I think uh, I think it's really important for us all chip in together and make sure everybody, all kids, have access to something that's. How much does it cost to to fucking sing? How much does that a lot cost? Less than someone? a bunch of bunch of pads and helmets i'll tell you that pads and helmets are a lot more expensive and while i would rather see us invest in instruments for for all kids the least that we can do is recognize um uh how important it would be to have uh, a science teacher that can come in and take a break and sing just start there yeah just start there give them give kids something to come to school for i think it's huge 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 important and um and i just think that anyone that does my job should recognize uh, the importance and cheerlead this on. I'm not an expert. Uh, I, I just I cheer it on. That's 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 what I do. And I I don't want a music teacher who's in their 20s who's starting out their career doing something that's extremely unlucrative to look at what they do as anything short of heroic. And and, and so if they listen to my music and I'm I'm saying. Dude, you are doing, you know, I'm not a religious person, but just as almost the Lord's work here, I look up to you. That is absolutely astounding and cool. I wouldn't be here without people like you, and uh, and and thank you. That's what we need to be doing to teachers. And I would also approve of my taxes being diverted quite bigly towards their uh, 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 towards what they do. I'm all for big pay raises for uh, I'll, I'll pay more taxes so they can uh, so, so, so they can um, teach and get the best teachers and, and make sure those best teachers are paid. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, <clears throat> I'm going to move on, but just to, to kind of summarize and also just point out something that you said in terms of these activities being able to teach a form of empathy and putting yourself in yeah. other people's shoes. One of the questions I, I was going to ask you about was about the the importance of empathy, not only in songwriting, but just in human life. And, yeah. you know, it, it's it's so true. You know, you have that whole chapter about, about you know, giving props to your, your music teachers in your book, which is so great because I, the music teachers that I had in school were 
some of the the folks that left the biggest impressions in my life. Yeah. It, you know, Mr. Robinson, my my choir teacher in high school, was the same choir teacher that taught my sisters who were ten years and thirteen years older than I Amazing. am. Amazing. And you know, he he uh, he really left a huge impression. Now I was in really small school. And, you know, like a graduating class of like 90 and my, my best friend and I were the entire male choir section. I, I was the bass and he was the tenor section and, (laughs) and he, he had a really good voice too. He was, he was in a band that, you know, that, that those, his, him and his brothers taught me how to play, but you know, it was, it was a, it's a really special relationship. And, uh, I, I, on behalf of, of uh, the Harms family, uh, who were were kind enough to send me that message, uh, I want to thank you uh, for for your efforts to bolster yeah. uh, music education across the U.S. Now, yeah. <clears throat> I wasn't planning on uh, ending the conversation in this spot, but it, uh, because it, it might be it might be kind of a downer. I don't know, uh, but we'll see. But I've uh, already be- talked about the end of the world. We're, we're, okay, we're, all right, it's cool. all up Good. from here. <laughs> good. Um, We're not the end of the world. Just the end of people on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. Uh, I'm glad, glad you, you're giving me permission here. Um, but it is probably uh, of all the remaining questions I had on the table, the one that I'm most curious about, um, mm-hmm. and that is your relationship with Elliot Smith. Oh, uh, Elliot. Yeah. Well, you know, I I did I didn't know Elliot that well. We toured together some, so um, and you know. We'd hang outside stage, talk, uh, 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 played basketball with a couple of uh, uh, people and crew and Beck's band and and uh, and 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 him a few times. Um, you know, I was um, a big fan of what he was doing, and um, he's just a he's just a really he's a serious musician, serious craftsman very tough he was very like like for all the fragility and the in the quiet part of uh of elliot he was also struck me as very tough um what else do i remember about him i mean his i felt he was surrounded by a lot of people who were very very impressed of how cool he was and like is the case so often I don't think he felt like that i think he was working he was working really hard to stay afloat too like you could see it um uh that that he was this was a period where he I think we were touring in his golden period which was he he managed not to be high that was really hard for him and um I don't think he was managing it all that well even but he was getting through and you could see the effort of that these are things to think about I think a standing aside on side stage with him one time watching uh some other band and and they were really loud and, sh- and screamy. And he said, you know, when, um, when you've grown up around shouting in your house and violence in your house, the last thing you want to do is evoke that in your music. The last thing you want to do is go on stage and scream. And he was saying, you know, part, but at the same time as these cats are hopelessly, you know, like middle-class whiners that are screaming on stage right now. <laughs> if they actually... If they actually lived through what they're screaming about, they wouldn't. They wouldn't shout it. They'd whisper it, and 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 that may not be true, but that was true for him. And it also somehow like spoke of uh, what seemed to be a pretty uh, 
tough upbringing that he had. But guy was absolutely brilliant musician, really nice guy. Always so happy to see him, and I, I think and hope vice versa. And uh, yeah, very missed. Great loss. It was a great loss. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know you got to run, but real fast, uh, Rock in the Suburbs, iconic track of yours. And a lot of it came from uh, some some quotes that, that Korn, uh, the, of course, the quote unquote new metal band from the mm. late 90s, early 2000s, um, it, you know, said about Ben Folds 5 back in the day. And, uh, you know, the, the song is so sardonic from your experiences in terms of creating an entire album and single around that i'm curious in in retrospect is has there been any uh any connection with 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 corn or what what's what are your thoughts looking <laughs> back on that that era because i mean you, you you were throwing some serious pot shots not only at them but limp biscuit and the whole I new metal wasn't thing back re- then. i didn't really feel like i was i didn't feel like that was pot shots i just felt like um it was it was it was fair to comment on if you open up a magazine to see that the big quote is that your band is a bunch of pussies, then I think it's it's fair enough to say, okay, oh, what are we all doing here? We're, we're a bunch of privileged white guys singing to other people in the suburbs. And that's what I thought would, and I put myself in that camp too. Now we're in an era now where we use the word privileged a lot and, 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 uh, and we, we, we may obsess over these things a little too much, but at the time it wasn't something that people thought about. What I was thinking about is like, man, you are, you seem so angry. And I thought about myself, <laughs> I was like, it's like, you know, I've done my share of kind of like little, little nerd, you know, anger you know if, if if just to take you know corn's uh, uh the parlance of, a, of of an older rock band such as corn but you know i <laughs> what i think of now is like you know what I, I i think uh what i what i would hope is um um you know for like a band like that like look they are now i don't know they're probably hitting 50 years old certainly they're they're rough contemporaries of 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 mine and i hope their kids are good and i hope they're learning a lot about music and i hope that the years of touring didn't uh uh didn't leave them with any kind of health trouble because it certainly can and uh and 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 i just i kind of feel uh i feel some joy thinking about my homies having come through, and I would like to think think that if I met any of those guys anywhere, that that the the um, that that you know we'd we'd have a fun talk about the uh, about the uh, good old days and maybe what <laughs> we're doing now and stuff. I I don't feel anything for them, but like uh, um, just look, they 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 went through my era with me, and we made music in a different era. And we played the roles and stuff. And I came across a guy one time who was in a famous band who I won't name, who was the guy's massive. And I thought he was going to kill me in a bathroom in, uh, in Japan. And he probably would have if someone hadn't stepped in. Um, and it was over something that he thought I'd said, which I actually hadn't said. And this guy has an arrest record and stuff and is pretty violent. And, uh, and even at that time, it was like a long time ago. Um, and I think, you know, like I just think about all those crazy things you say when you're a kid. And I don't care about the pussy stuff with that guy, uh, the corn guy. And I thought they were really good musicians. And I thought it was all funny. And I think it's even funnier now. 
Ben Folds. My goodness gracious, I can't believe that I got to talk to you today. Seriously, oh, thanks, man. Good to meet me you. It's me on an honor, man. I really, uh, and I know I've, I've kept you, I've kept you a little long, and I hope you and Mike can forgive me on that. But uh, no hope worries. to uh, talk again, talk again in the future. Good to talk to you. Thanks, man. <laughs>